everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church Podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. We are in this week 12, if you can believe it, of, of a never-ending series in 1 Corinthians. Actually, we're on the home stretch. So, um, and it's, it's a letter that Paul has written to a, a church that he's planted in this progressive, hip, uh, wealthy, spiritually ambiguous culture, not unlike our own. And the church is filled with these sort of immature, new Christians who are, who are having a hard time staying unified. And Paul keeps telling them, you know, that you're equal. You're equally sinful, but you're, you're equally valued. And uh, they're finding all kinds of reasons to be divided. You know, the, the marrieds and the singles and the Jews and the Gentile and the rich and the poor and those who speak in tongues and those who don't and those who feel... Uh, free not to follow the rules and those who have to follow the rules. And so Paul's about to tell them that the church will only be effective and fruitful, uh, not because of the gift that you bring in, but because of the gift that God is going to give you. And so um, today is a whole sermon series crammed into one sermon. So I need 40 minutes of your time today. I'm going to talk fast. You listen fast and keep up, okay? I promise I'll make it worth your while. Um, But first, I do have to tell you a funny little story. For those of you who don't know, we have a school uh, that meets on the second floor uh, Monday to Friday. Great school, NMCLA. Can't say enough good things about them. And uh, I was going to meet for lunch with uh, my friend Mike, and we were just waiting in the, in the hallway, and I heard down the uh, stairwell, just where, just where the loft stairs are there, uh, all the kids sort of gathering. And I go to Mike, hey, watch this. I'm going to scare a kid. So I get, I get right up against the door, like my nose to the door, just waiting for the door to open. I'm just going to just blast this kid. And so <laughs> door opens, and I go, rah! And... Uh, it's Principal Bonnie Baber right there, and, <laughs> and uh, she was a good sport about it, uh, gave, her, gave her a hug. Uh, she, she looked like she aged a little bit in that moment. Um, now, uh, she was raised with brothers, and uh, she tells me that revenge is her spiritual gift, which... <laughs> I'm telling her it's not a spiritual gift. Um, what is a spiritual gift? Let me, let me put it simply. It is the Holy Spirit giving each Christian in this room at least one ability to do ministry. And by way of a preface, let me just start by telling you about Jesus. Because if we, if we ever study anything and we don't connect it to Jesus, I think we're bound to miss the point. So you need to know that Jesus did ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit and Jesus are not competing for allegiance. Uh, instead, 
the Holy Spirit is going to indwell, enable us, empower us to do ministry like Jesus did ministry. He's saying, I can minister like Jesus? No, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. In fact, he said, you will do even greater things than I did. See, Jesus, Jesus went to the cross, and he died, and he did it in our place for our sins. And three days later, he rose, and he publicly demonstrated his resurrection for some 40 days. He ascended back into heaven where he is today. But before he, he departed, he said something very curious. He said, uh, don't do ministry just yet. Wait. Something needs to, to happen. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come, and he'll empower you to do ministry, and then you can be my witnesses all over the, all over the earth. And sure enough, the Holy Spirit was poured out on God's people. So to be a Christian means we can be filled by, led by, empowered by the Holy Spirit, gifted by the Spirit to do the ministry of Jesus on the earth. In fact, uh, because us Christians have spread around the globe, we can actually touch more people, impact more people than Jesus could have as one person on the earth. And so we're always looking to Jesus as our example. Now, there's this, there's this big debate among Christian teams and tribes as to whether certain spiritual gifts are still functioning Today there are these there are these teams, and so let me just quickly take you through them, and then tell you which team I think I hope we're on. Uh, the first team is the cessationist team. Man, you got some big words today. Yeah, I know <laughs> delicatessen. I know big words. Um, <laughs> the cessationist position essentially says that supernatural gifts like prophecy and miracles and healing and the the more supernatural only functioned in the early church, and they're not practiced today. You know, and maybe some of you get freaked out when we talk about more of the mysterious supernatural happenings, and maybe it freaks you out because you came from a cessationist church that, that spooked you into being afraid of certain gifts of God. Okay, we are, I think, a charismatic Church, charismatic with a seatbelt. Okay, that's technically our position. Here's what I mean supernatural gifts, we believe, are given to every generation, should be practiced today, same as the first century, first Corinthian church, as the 21st century NAC church. So we, we believe in things like prophecy and healing and miracles and gift of tongues. Um, but we also believe they're supposed to be done in a way that is wise and orderly. There's, there's principles and best practices, according to the Bible, that, that govern how uh, these things are best expressed. So we would say, and, I, and this is really an alliance, this is the body of churches that we're part of, position that all the gifts exist today in 2019. Sometimes they're abused, sometimes things get weird, but there's nothing to be scared of, okay? The third position, however, I've affectionately titled uh, the charismaniac position, okay? It's like the charismatic position in that they believe the gifts, all the gifts are for today, but they tend to have, at least functionally, a lower view of the Bible. Now, they wouldn't 
say it like that, but often the way it works is that their contemporary revelation is on par with or greater than the Bible. And that's when things can go off the rails. So, you know, not always does this happen, but, but this team is more prone to getting someone who would say, I'm God's anointed and I speak for God, so put your Bible down and listen to me. And that's, you know, that's how, that's how you start a cult, right? So the fourth position, uh, there's the cessationist, there's the charismatic with the seatbelt, there's the charismaniac, and then there's the Pentecostal position. Now, some of you may have come from a Pentecostal background. That's my background. You still hired me, <laughs> sucker. <laughs> and the Pentecostal position, similar to the charismatic position in that it believes that all the gifts are in operation, healing, miracles, all of them, with this one caveat that some Christians have the Holy Spirit and some don't. And the way you know you have the Holy Spirit is if you speak in tongues. And so that tongues is the, essentially the evidence of having the Holy Spirit, which just ain't true. Because, um, spoiler alert, Paul says that God gives gifts to each person as he determines, and that we don't all have the same gifts. So we'll talk about tongues and prophecy in a few weeks. I assure you, though, we, are, we will not take your Christian card if you don't speak in tongues. And Because uh, here's my issue with, with the Pentecostal position, and I, I use that term broadly. Not all Pentecostal churches believe this, but Christian, this morning, if you don't have the Holy Spirit then how were you convicted of sin? Uh, how did you get a changed heart, a, a renewed mind, a love of Jesus, an understanding of Scripture if you don't have the Holy Spirit? You receive the Holy Spirit when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Ephesians 1 says, at that moment of salvation. So you can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You can't be a Christian on your own power, with your own strength, on your own merit. It's by the grace and the empowerment of God through his spirit. So if you are a Christian, man, you have power in your fingertips. You have God represented by the Holy Spirit living in you. All right, another incredibly long preamble, but I think context is important. So let's get into it. If you have your Bible, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 just out of curiosity, anybody read anything from 1 Corinthians this week? Oh, good. You knew I was going to ask, Lori. Good girl. Yep. Okay. Good, good, good. Leslie, excellent. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Some translations say ignorant, ignorant, uh, which uh, that's not a compliment, right? Um, and so when it comes to spiritual gifts, there's lots of ways that people can be ignorant. First, you should know there's a distinction between natural talent and a supernatural gift or a, or a spiritual gift. You know, a natural talent uh, sometimes is given to you at birth. A spiritual gift is really given to you at your new birth. Um, this ain't about your DNA or, you know, your parents or your good bone structure. When you're born again, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit gives abilities to do ministry like Jesus. And secondly, 
I personally don't believe that um, there is a complete list of all the spiritual gifts. Now, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 have the same list of gifts. And then there's 1 Peter 4 and Ephesians 4, and they have some additional gifts on the list, and they aren't all the same. So we're not sure what the sum total of all the spiritual gifts are. And some say, well, you know, if you put all the lists together, then you have the list. Well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, so as we study the gifts, there may even be additional things that the Holy Spirit has enabled you to do um, that aren't even listed in the Bible. But I don't think the point is to have an exhaustive list. I think creative arts is a spirit-enabled gift to build up the church and, uh, and glorify Jesus, but you won't find it on these lists, okay? So additionally, some of you have multiple gifts. Some of you have one, and, and there are different portions of gifting. Some of you can lead. You can lead dozens of people. Some of you can lead. You can lead hundreds of people. Some of you can lead. You can lead thousands of people, right? And I think it's important to say this as well, regardless of what your spiritual gift is, all of us at times need to serve outside our area of gifting. Like, for example, you're a mom and your kid comes to you and he's like, could you tell me about Jesus? And you're like, no, I don't have the gift of evangelism. You're going to have to go to hell. I'm sorry. My (laughs) hands are tight. No, that's not cool. Um, Never once when one of my kids said to me, Dad, I'm hungry, did I go, sorry, I don't have the gift of hospitality. You're just going to have to be skinny. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, sometimes people will say, well, I'm a teacher, so, you know, I don't scrub toilets, I don't pick up trash. No, uh, it doesn't work that way. A disciple of Jesus knows we need to sometimes just just do what is necessary to help people and to love people for the sake of the gospel. So here's something else. You'll find that in addition to your gift, God is going to give you passions. He'll wire you with passion. Some of you are going to be really fired up about a specific part of the world, about a certain people group. And some of you are going to say, man, I just love kids. And some are going to say, man, I just have a heart for single moms. Some of you are going to say, I just have a heart for new married couples, or I have a heart for people who have been addicted to drugs and alcohol, and I have a heart for people who who are all financially jacked up. They don't know how to make a a budget. And you might even ask, as you assess how God has wired you, what, what gives me joy? Like, some people, it's organizing things. Like you've accepted Mary Kondo into your heart, and you you know you actually asked for a label maker for Christmas. You know, <laughs> you, this mix of administration and OCD and and control freaks, <laughs> you know, all working together for God's glory. And additionally, you'll know what your gift is by figuring out where you're effective. So so when you do something and people are blessed and and it goes well. And they say, oh, thank you so much. That was so helpful. It probably means you're, you're working in your giftedness. And here's the key. The best way to find your gift 
is trial and error. And one of the ways that we can be ignorant and uninformed of spiritual gifts is that we don't cultivate our gift. Your gift needs to be cultivated. So if, you're, if you've got the gift of administration, learn QuickBooks and Excel and charts and graphs and grow in your administrative ability. If you're an encourager, you know, ask yourself, how can I... How can I ask better questions? How can I be a better learner? How can I give good counsel? What books do I need to read? You need to cultivate your gift. And my next point is that spiritual gifts are about Jesus. And that's what Paul says in verse 2. He says, you know that when you were pagan somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So notice Paul doesn't say, you'll know you have the Holy Spirit if you speak in tongues. Paul says, you'll know you have the Holy Spirit if what? You love Jesus. Because it's the Holy Spirit who takes our heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh to love Jesus. And he goes on in verse 4, and he talks about how the entire trinity is involved in the, in the distribution of spiritual gifts. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So, so you become a Christian, and God the Father pays attention to you personally, which is incredible in and of itself. And he says, I want them to have this gift. They are so important to me. I have a mission for them. I'm going to put them in this city for this time. I'm going to put them in this church. And so I need them to have this spiritual gift. So the Holy Spirit comes and equips you to do ministry like Jesus. So the whole Trinity is involved in, in the giving of the gift. And in verse 7, he says, Now to each one... The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts to increase our platform, benefit us, make our name famous, right? No, no, to serve others, to bless others, to benefit others so that we're all in this thing together. We recognize that we all have our part to play. So if you're a Christian and you're here, and you've been hanging out on the fringe, and you say to yourself, looks like they've got everything covered here. We don't. We don't. Now jump down to verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives each one to us just as he determines. Okay, so who determines the gift you get? God does. And that's what frustrates me in some churches where the pastor will get up and say, if you'd like to speak in tongues, if you'd like the gift of prophecy, come on up and I'll give it to you. The pastor does not give you gifts. The Holy Spirit does. I can't give you a gift. The Holy Spirit can and does. And so maybe you're here this morning and you, you have a gift and you're sort of lamenting your gift. You're saying, man, I... I got the gift of service, you know? I wanted the gift of prophecy. I, I wanted a, a big gift, a cooler gift. I wanted a leadership gift so I could, you know, be in front of the band and 
God gave me this gift of service. Well, might I remind you that Jesus was a servant? God gave me this gift of encouragement. Well, Jesus is an encourager. You're doing what, what Jesus did and does. And so don't despise the part that God has chosen for you to play. Instead, say, if this is who I am, if, if this is what you've given me, God, then I'm going to do it 100% because that's what needs to be done. And I'm going to trust you, Lord, that you're even going to give me joy as I do it because you don't give lousy gifts, Lord. And you don't want to be like that bratty kid on their birthday opening their presents saying, that's not what I wanted. God gives you the gifts. And so praise God for the gift. Now listen, if we had time, we'd go through each gift in detail, but we don't. However, this is a little good promo for the networking course that I'm doing. And we now have our, our critical mass of people. I think there's still some room. Um, we're going to begin two Tuesdays from now, not the second, but the ninth. And uh, you can sign up at the Connection uh, or at the Welcome Center. But let's just take a look at the couple of gifts, and, and you don't have to do your own research after that. Dig deeper on your own. Verse 8, it says, To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another this, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. Now, the gift of wisdom is the ability to have insight into people and situations that, that isn't obvious to the average person and an understanding of what to do about it. So you, you wisdom people in the room, you're, you're intensely practical. You don't, you, know, you don't know what to do with money? Well, let's put a plan together. You, uh, you don't know how to manage your life? Okay, let's put a schedule together. You have the ability not only to, to see but to apply the principles of God's word to practical matters of life. So what do I do with food and money and, and sex and friendships and marriage and vocation? It takes wisdom to figure all that out. And so there are people at NAC that God has given the gift of wisdom to, and we, we get to go to them for counsel and insight, and, and they're huge gifts to us. You know, James 1, 5 says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives in abundance. And so this is a prayer that I pray all the time. Every time I do counseling, God, give me wisdom. I, I want to know the right questions to ask. I want to know what issues to examine in that person's life. I want to know what scripture to use. Um, people with the wisdom gift, they make good coaches and counselors and consultants. I think of people like a Dave Clouk or a Elizabeth, Don, um, Earl. Um, people with the gift of wisdom, they can't stand to see folly, foolishness, because they know it hurts people. And, and there's no excuse uh, to live lives of, of folly when God offers so much wisdom. That's, that's their feeling. So so do you find that, that when people have important life decisions to make, that they come to you for advice? You may have the gift of wisdom. Maybe all kinds of people seem to ask you, Who, uh, do you think I should marry that person? Do you, do you think I should take this job? Um, I was thinking about getting this degree in college. What do you think? 
Do you find that, that when you counsel people that God seems to give you wisdom to share with them? Maybe you've been meeting with somebody over coffee and you start talking and the words that come out of your mouth, you're like, that was brilliant. Where did that come from? <laughs> uh, you may have the gift of wisdom. That's God in you. So if that's your gift, cultivate it. Grow in it. And then it says that there's this gift of knowledge. If you're a geek for Jesus, this is you, right? And it's the gift to research and remember and make effective use of a variety of information on a number of diverse subjects. I've come to recognize this as one of my gifts. I'm an information geek. You probably have eight books on the go. And they're probably nonfiction. And when the Amazon delivery guy shows up, you almost weep because you're so happy. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. Here he is again. Another book. Oh, and there's statistics in it. Thank you, Jesus. And there's footnotes. And, you know, I, I think of people like Keith West and Byron Hearn and, and Steve Briggs. And for those of you who don't have this gift, this is your personal hell, right? You know, <laughs> somebody gives you a big book and you're like, where are the pictures in it? I, I like to eat. I like people. I got the gift of hospitality, and that's a, that's a big book. I, I, the, my previous church out west, some of you may know that, that we had a, a fire that totally obliterated my office, and I think that was the hardest part. Um, all my books were destroyed, and all my journals and notes and underlined highlight written in the margin books, uh, you know, decades of, of interacting with books. But then the insurance check came in, and I, I got to go book shopping. <laughs> oh, the, just the, the smell of new books, and it, it was nice. You know the first thing I did when I moved to, to Newmarket? Uh, before I got a place to rent, I was living at the Clouks, I got a library card. Nerd. People with the spiritual gift, uh, they love God with all their heart, soul, but especially their mind. Yeah. And so Jesus, he perfectly embodies all the gifts, including, <clears throat> including knowledge. Jesus was a rabbi. He was an expert in the Old Testament. Jesus had committed whole sections of scripture to memory. But Jesus also rebuked the scholars in his day because they were knowledgeable, but they weren't loving. And in all their scripture memorization, they missed it. They missed that it was actually about Jesus. So the whole point of study is what? Love Jesus. Uh, you can't memorize the whole Bible um, and, and not make it about Jesus. You know, you could have more degrees than Fahrenheit. And if you don't love Jesus, <laughs> you missed it. You missed it. Okay, so that's just two of the gifts. But Paul, I think, wants to make a bigger point here. And it's a point he keeps coming back to again and again throughout this letter. Unity. Unity. It's so important among God's people. Jesus, Jesus prayed for unity. And now Paul uses this great analogy to drive his point home. Verse 12. The body is a unit though it's made up of many parts, and through all its parts are many, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, 
And we were all given the one spirit to drink. So the church, when it's healthy and effective, it's supposed to be like a body. Every, every person in the church is a part of the body. Some of you are a toe. Some of you are a nose. And there's fingers and there's armpits. But we're all part of the body. And, and we all do something different. We offer something important. Everybody's got their part and their, and their mission to play. And so the question then is, how do we obtain this unity? Paul says, well, it's actually something that God does through the Spirit. Um, true unity is not possible apart from the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit, unity is not only possible, it is, it is the natural result of God's presence. So just as there's one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are unified as one. Um, They're singular in mind and purpose and identity. So God's people need to be, even though we are a diverse community, we are to be unified as one. And remember, we don't lose our diversity. We actually celebrate it because unity does not mean uniformity. In our church, man, just look around. There are all kinds of different people. There's New Canadians and old Canadians and vegans and hunters. Hunter Briggs, see what I did there? Um, Liberals, conservatives. There's great diversity. And here's how he says it in verse 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but many. Just like like your body's made up of, of many parts, so this church has lots of parts. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? So you walk into a room like this, And you're like, what in the world are all these rando people doing together? Well, apart from Jesus, well, we'd kill each other. Um, Because our differences would lead to divisions, and our divisions would lead to conflict, and our conflict would lead to hatred, and all kinds of sin and prejudice. But in Jesus, we say, well, I love Jesus, and you love Jesus, and that's all that really matters. And then Paul makes this point that we, we also have interdependence. Uh, we need each other. It's not like these people over here do evangelism and the single people over here and the married people over here, you know, and the Bible teachers over here. No, everybody, everybody needs everybody. We're all important. Verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Interdependence. Different people, different giftings, working together, needing each other. You know, we have um, little kids that are coming and they, who love Jesus, and they are as needed as anyone here. Think of Peggy. Is Peggy here this morning? 90, 92? 91? Yeah, I didn't want to make it ridiculous, like 92. Um, is it rude to tell a lady's age? Yes. Oh, sorry? All right. 
it's the forgiveness, not permission thing that we talked about earlier. Um, vital part of this church, using her gift of prayer. I don't know if you know, but she prays for us every day. She prays for NAC every day. A vital part of this church ministry. Whatever your age, whatever your situation, whatever your race, whatever your experience, you are needed. Your gifts are needed so that more people in our city will be loved and hear the truth about Jesus. So some of you may walk into Knack and you get frustrated and you say, you know, this part of the church ain't going so well. It's all messed up. Yes, we're glad you're here. We'll put you to work in Jesus' name so you can fix it. And that's all that ministry is, walking in and saying, I see a need. I have two choices. I can complain or I can help. And, and so you nominate yourself to help. And I guess my question to you is, um, are you connected to the body? Or are you like a free-floating toe? Um, <laughs> Are you a free-floating <laughs> free mouth? Those are the worst kind, right? And it's sometimes popular for Christians to stand back and, and critique a church rather than saying, well, I'm part of this family. I guess I should stop complaining and, and pick up some dishes and be part of the family. And Paul goes on to say that in the church, not only is there unity and diversity and interdependence, there is worth that is ascribed to each and every one of you. See, out there, out there in the world, it depends on how pretty you are and how cool you are, how hip you are. In God's church, in God's economy, um, we value people because they are created in the image of God. And we believe he's brought everyone here for a specific purpose. And it's said this way in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. How ridiculous would that be? You know, one part of the body declared war on another part of the body. If, if your right hand declared war on your head, you know, and started punching, I won. What? You won? Won what? Everybody loses when there's war in the church and there's faction. Nobody wins. We need one another. He says, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You know, some of you come in here and you say, look, I'm not really rich. I'm not talented. I haven't been a Christian that long. I don't know the Bible that well. So what, what am I supposed to do? I just want to tell you, you are a valuable part of this body. You are here for a reason. And he says, the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. See, if your definition of church is an event that happens in a building on Sunday morning on a stage with a microphone, then you say, well, I'm not really involved in church unless I'm on the stage on Sunday with a microphone. And not everybody can be. Not everybody should be. Not everybody wants to be. And so we need to expand our understanding of church. The church is the life that we live together as a people, not an event that we attend. Churches is opening our homes to love people and pray for people and serve one another. And it's often not that visible. So while we all have equal worth, we all have a different role. And often the roles won't be visible, but, but Jesus sees 
and he's so pleased if you're loving him and if you're serving him. So Paul's saying just because people aren't seen doesn't mean they're unimportant. I mean, how many of you have parts of the body that are very important but are unseen? Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> he goes on, but, but that each part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. How many of you have sustained an injury to just a portion of your body and you realize it doesn't just remain concentrated in that area, right? It affects your whole body. Like you're hanging a picture and you hit your thumb with the hammer um, if you've ever done that, you realize it affects uh, not only your thumb, but your feet, because you start dancing, and your eyes, because you start crying, and your mouth, because you start swearing like a sailor. And, I mean, it affects the whole body, right? And so it is in the church. If one part of the body, if someone in the church is hurting, is suffering, we, we all feel that. Andrew's pain is our pain. Paul's pain was our pain, you know, Kevin and Dagmar's pain. We feel that. The miscarriages, the, the job losses, the someone's spouse abandons them or someone's kid turns from God. We feel that as a church body. And it's the great privilege of the body of Christ, the church, to hurt with them, to weep with them. And he also says that if one part rejoices, we all get to rejoice. If someone gets a raise, if someone gets married, if someone has a baby, if somebody graduates from school, we rejoice when somebody is healed. Um, their, their, rejoice, their rejoicing is our rejoicing. Hunter and Danita's joy is our joy, right? The whole body celebrates because the parts are, are connected. And so Paul says that this is what it means to be the church, to be unified because of the Holy Spirit around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. To have diversity, yes. We don't all need to be the same, but we all have the same Jesus. We all have the same Bible, the same mission, that we have interdependence. We need each other. Um, but we have different ways that we participate in the church. And we all have worth. Um, that even though everyone is not equally visible, they are all equally important. So I'll close with this. What's, what's your part? Why has God brought you here to Knack? Is it to be a person who participates in a meaningful way? Um, are, are you figuring out how God has wired you to do something to help make this church better so that we can see more people in this city come to know Jesus? That's why we're all here. And so as we close, I'm just wondering if everyone would take a connection card or a doodle card out of the front of their seat. Why don't you do that right now? Now, I want us just to take a moment to reflect. God is challenging some of you this morning, and I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that challenge and actually put pen to paper, make it real, make it tangible. And, and maybe you would write your name um, and a way that you feel like you're being called to be part of the body this morning. Maybe you'd write down, I want to be a member, or I want to use my faith gift, or I want to cultivate my 
prophetic gift or I think I need to be part of this networking group or I want to start a, a ministry that seems to be lacking at Mac or I want to serve in an existing ministry. Maybe, maybe you'll end up putting that card in your purse or your wallet or maybe as we collect the offering in just a few seconds, you would, you would put it in that basket as a way of just letting our pastoral staff team know of what you're interested in. We're going to give those who have the gift of generosity a chance to exercise their gift as we take an offering. And we're going to give those people like me who don't have that gift a chance to be (laughs) faithful and obedient. And so I take this opportunity to just reflect and pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight into your part of the body of Christ. And just ask, Holy Spirit, what what do you want me to do? What are my gifts? Where should I start? What are passions and dreams and desires and abilities that I have that, that you've given me for a purpose to lead me here? And he'll tell you. He'll lead you.